Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great show for you this week. We're going to be looking at the use of technology and working with wild horses. That interview is coming up along with a more involved explanation of ground-penetrating radar, a question that's come in from a lot of our listeners over the last week. We're going to see how this technology is used and what it can really do from an expert, who we'll be introducing a little bit later in the show. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show. Sup? Hey! It's good to have you here this week. How is everything going as we're getting into the summer? Um, Things are getting interesting. I'm kind of tired of the whole... I'm bored. I'm really <laughs> bored. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think a lot of people feel that way as they're easing the lockdowns now. It's uh, a lot of pent-up demand, as they call it. People are starting to get outside, but uh, it is still going to be definitely for me, and I think for most, one of the strangest years ever. Yeah. All right. Well, our news today is brought to you by the Sherwood Area Chamber of Commerce. Join the collective power of area businesses and nonprofits to connect leaders and influencers. Be a catalyst for business growth and a champion for the community. Go to SherwoodChamber.org for details. Gretchen, what's in the news? Renewables surpass coal and U.S. energy generation for the first time in 130 years. Yeah, so this seems like for those that uh, want to embrace renewable technology, a step in the right direction. What yeah. We're yeah. What, what we're seeing here is renewable energy is starting to be used more and more and has hit that magic 50% mark. And this would be your wind, solar, that type of thing. And uh, we're seeing a lot of use in a lot of countries in the world, Scotland being an example of this, are going to be at zero carbon footprint pretty soon or have already made it there. So this is a step in the right direction. I think we still need to go further, but it's nice to see. Sony announces some specs on the new PlayStation 5. Yeah, so we got to finally sort of see it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's so, a very weird shape. Yeah, It's an odd shape. Uh, they have not actually released the dimensions yet as of this recording. So we're having to estimate that based on the size of the drive tray, the disc tray in it, and the USB ports that are pictured. And it looks like it might be very, very tall. And yes. uh, they they photographed it in the press release vertically. And we think that part of the reason uh, for that is heat dissipation. There was even some rumors that they were going to do a liquid-cooled scenario for that, which it doesn't look like actually happened. But definitely something like that, considered the specific specs on it, it would run hot and would have that potential. There's also yeah. going to be two versions of it. We've been hearing rumors of both, one that will have a media tray and one that will not. So uh, if you want to just download your games and don't want to buy content and don't want to use it to play movies, then it might be good to go with the one without the media tray. And that's kind of a personal thing, but it leaves the choice in the hands of the players as to what they prefer. So I think that's a good thing. The uh, show-off of the graphics, native 4K, and a number of other things, support for Dolby Atmos Sound. Uh, there's a lot of new features with this that are going to really enhance the experience. And the other thing that I really liked about it is it still appears to be backward compatible with PlayStation 4, which means when you buy the new hardware, you can use your existing software library, and you don't have to replace everything. T-Mobile down earlier this week. So... This happened late Monday night, and there was a concern that there was actually a nationwide cell phone failure. Turned out to be T-Mobile's network had gone down for a couple of hours, 
uh, if you were a user on the T-Mobile network, you would have found during this time that you couldn't place calls, including 911 calls and that type of thing. Yay. The reason why it seemed like there were other networks out is because call completion, if you were on another network and called someone on T-Mobile, also wouldn't work. So it kind of gave the impression that there were problems across the board. They got huh. it fixed a couple of hours later. The FCC has been giving out some pretty steep fines for this type of thing. If you are relying on a cell phone provider, you're relying on them not to uh, go down and not function and that type of a thing and be able to provide a reliable service. So I don't know what the outcome of that's going to be yet. They're saying it was not a denial of service attack or a hack, some kind of a failure on the internet provider side, but we haven't gotten a solid answer as to exactly what happened yet. FDA approves first prescription video game. So what do you think of that? Uh, take two aspirin and play this video game. I think it's a cool idea. But it sounds you, cool. You have but... to explain what it's for. Yeah, it's, it's a company called <laughs> Alkali Interactive. The name of the game is Endeavor RX. Uh, it was under the name Project EVO as it was being developed, and it is actually kind of a landmark decision from the FDA. It's authorizing doctors to prescribe the iPhone and iPad game for kids between ages 8 and 12 years old with ADHD. It has undergone seven years of clinical trials, so it's been studied for a while, and it's been studied in over 600 children to figure out whether a game could actually make a difference. And in this case, it looks like it is. Um, I think something like this could actually be very, very beneficial. And I think that having something like this out on the market really could help people if it's something that proves to have these kind of results. They're targeting the gameplay for 25 minutes a day, five days a week for four weeks. And that was also the test group. So it is definitely something interesting to see. And I could see something like this actually being a very good idea. Emerald City Comic Con 2020 canceled. Yeah, this is a bummer. I'm not terribly surprised it happened, but no. I kind of wish it hadn't had to, you know? I yeah. Know. But um, all right. You know, when we found out about it, uh, we went to their website just to, you know, see if they said anything. And what we discovered was that they still have their souvenir store right online. Yep. And so I just thought, oh, I'll just take a look, you know, wistfully thinking, I wish we could have gone. And then I see this really cool umbrella. Okay. And it has, uh, has like the, the crazy Bigfoot guy and, and uh, the flying saucers and and dragons. Yeah. It's really cool. So if you're somebody who collects like the pins, the t-shirts, the cups, um, there's even some Marvel's type, like, uh, comic book hero type Mm -hmm. stuff. If you're wishing that you could have gotten that special t-shirt, go. Yeah. It's online right now. Yeah. Go to their website and check it out. According to Read Pop, which is the company that produces Emerald City and a number of other conventions around the country as well, they're stating that the decision was very difficult to make, but it's not just a handful of days, it's our community. And the concern here is about the safety and welfare of everybody that would participate in this type of an experience. And unfortunately, it's just not to be this year. And this is after they rescheduled it once from earlier in the year. Uh, hoping that maybe it could be done during the month of August. As you say, merchandise is available. They're also talking about having a digital version of the event in August. And as those details come, we will be able to cover them here and see what that actually is going to entail. The event is now scheduled for March 4th through 7th of 2021. Intel to bake anti-malware software into its processors. Yeah, it seems like this is kind of, it's an about time thing. Kind of. Actually, you know, hard code. 
the anti-malware, or they're not talking about antivirus, they're just talking about anti-malware here, although it'll probably end up being both when it gets into production. But uh, the idea here is that Intel is going to actually create security as a part of the CPU. It's a PC processor codenamed Tiger Lake, and uh, it will be the first CPU to offer a security capability. It's called Control Flow Enforcement Technology. I'm sure the mm -hmm. acronym for that will be CFET, uh, since we have a lot of acronyms in the computer world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it won't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I know, you, Gretchen, you love acronyms, and I, I know yeah. that... Uh, <laughs> But you know, at the I, end, it could be the dyslexic thing. You yeah, know, it's, it's possible. It's <laughs> well, and possible. the acronyms tend to mean different things to different people. Yeah, so it's like, okay, that's just crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and that's this is true. Um, that being said, however, having some kind of baseline hardware-based security is something that, like I say, I think it's time is well coming. I think it's something that we need to do, and I'm kind of glad to see it be out there because hacking and all of the related, you know, things that go along with that are becoming almost a new normal for us, or actually kind of have become a new normal for us. So it's time for the good guys to be able to get a little bit of a hand on this. Walmart testing self-check-in only store. Actually, self-checkouts only store. And uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I read it totally wrong. <laughs> okay. You know, it is. Uh, yeah. You, 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 you don't have to check in the Walmart, at least not yet. Um, but uh, well, well, some stores you do have to check in. Yeah, this is true. This is true. It's uh, everything is different this year. This is in Arkansas. Uh, it's a test store and they're thinking about rolling this out all over the country. If they deem it successful, there would still be people to help customers in the event that they needed help. But instead of having cash registers or cash lines run by a person, everything would be self-checkout, and that would be part of the thing. I don't know if I find this good or bad. I usually use the self-checkout, so from that standpoint, it's okay. Um, but it just seems like we're seeing the end of an era a little bit here of customer service if it really does go that route. Yeah. So anyway, there we are. And upcoming in the show today, again, we're going to be talking about technology and wild horses. We're going to have an interview on ground-penetrating radar, and we're going to have a Q&A. All of that is coming up right after the break. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now is reporter and producer Bill Snodgrass. Bill, welcome to the show. Hello. So we did a little segment on ground-penetrating radar a while back, and we've had a number of listener questions come in. And I know that this is an area that you studied in college. In fact, I think your degree is in archaeology, isn't it? Well, anthropology in general, but... Uh... That's because in America, we don't separate them out like they do uh, in Europe. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, and that makes really? sense. Oh. Yeah. In Europe, it's really weird. You're, you specialize very heavily to the point where you're not really an anthropologist. You're archaeologist or you're a, a pottery person. I, I can't even remember all the terms. You, you, they have some weird ones. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, that being said, what is ground-penetrating radar? Well, ground-penetrating radar is uh, kind of basically like regular radar which uses microwaves to detect objects. Uh, this one, of course, uses it to detect objects inside the ground. Um, pretty much it was developed back uh, 
1910, 1912, when the first ones were developed. And it wasn't really developed into full ground trading radars we know until about the 1970s. Okay, so but even so, this is a technology that's been around for a while. Uh, yeah, uh, radar was first invented by, I believe his name, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, Gotthelf Leimbach and okay. Heinrich Lowy. Lowy? Eh, that's better than I would have been able to say it, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is it the same as a metal detector? You said it uses microwaves. As I understand, well... Uh, they both use uh, electromagnets, as I understand, but a uh, metal detector tends to pick up the magnetism of objects versus where ground penetrating radar is actively sending out uh, microwaves into the ground and then bouncing those back like you would a radar you would use uh, at an airport to monitor aircraft coming in or okay. weather, things like that. So, so how does it work? You bounce th these radio waves into the ground and they come back to the machine. And then through that, somehow you're able to see what's under the ground. Um, basically radar works on this, uh, function of densities, things like that. So when you hit certain densities, like when you're doing an aircraft, you're hitting a metal object and then that microwave is bouncing back. So you're sending out a signal and having it return to you. Um, and it's monitoring how long those take, uh, Kind of like sonar, right, in a right. way. Okay, so let's say we're looking for the buried pirate chest, and we're looking in the ground, and everything around it is sand, dirt, and rock. How would you differentiate that based on using ground-penetrating radar? It What it does is it gives you back an image um, of this slice, as we call it, because it travels a path, so you get however wide your area is that your antennas can do. Um, I think they have one now that can go up to 20 feet wide. I'm not entirely sure on that myself. They are always, people are building things. Some of these are actually, you know, uh, kits that are rebuilt right. and made into things. And so you get this slice and when it bounces back this data, it kind of looks like looking at a topographic map. And that's because it's telling you how uh, deep something is basically. So, so when you put it through the software, it comes back looking like a topographic map. So you're kind of just looking at, uh, like Google Earth through topography and going, oh, okay, this is, you know, there's a mountain there. Right, right. So what are some of the things that it actually has found? A lot of things, honestly. There have been, I believe it's found uh, a number of cities. Um, I know it's found a lot of uh, historical stuff. Uh, cemeteries were a big one for a while. Uh, people were looking for older cemeteries or cemeteries that had gone into disrepair or that were damaged. Um, they were using them to find missing plots that didn't have tombstones. Uh, occasionally, they're brought in on places that are known to have had medical uh, like colleges. Right. Sometimes they didn't take care of the cemeteries quite right for the um, medical cadavers and stuff. So they have to look through and find where those were or you know, where housing is going in on historic places. Um, I know they've used it on a number of sites, uh, like uh, down in Mexico and places where they have temples and they're looking for underground features. They use it in Egypt a lot, uh, have found a number of burial sites and stuff like that through that. Um, I know they used it in Stonehenge explicitly when they found all the extra potholes and the extended complex. They did a lot of ground penetrating radar around that. 
So is this the kind of radar that you push on the little cart or is it from the airplane or is it, can you describe the tool? There are multiple ones. Um, when I first saw this used like uh, by a group that was using it regularly, it was this huge, massive ice chest looking thing. <laughs> Two guys had to basically carry this um, and try to be as um, even over the ground as they could uh, because that's how the antennas work. So if you tilt the, the, the machine, it doesn't work quite as well. Um, I've seen it where it's a little tiny box on a guy with like a wheelbarrow looking thing. Uh, there's one that looks like you're pushing a lawnmower. Yeah. My understanding now is, is there's a self-driving car that can do it going almost 60 miles per hour. That's oh. cool. You know, I, okay. So, and that brings up a question here too, because uh, there, we have a lot of enthusiasts that try to do different things and like to play with new technology that listen to the show, of course. And describing that there's a couple of ways to implement it, is this something that's gotten to a point now where I could go to an electronics store and buy a kit and actually have one, or are they still very expensive? I, I mean, how would that even work? You know, that's kind of one of those questions. It, it, I, I know where you can buy these things. I'm not entirely sure if radar devices require um, licensing. Right, or, right. You know, I mean that that could change. You know, that could be a California law and not anywhere else, or things like that. You know, I have no idea. Um, I know that I personally would not be one that goes out and buys a ground penetrating radar because it takes training, it takes software. It they're not cheap. Yeah, they're right. they're really like I, I and I, I mean I, I state this is that there is a possibility it actually is cheap itself, but the software and things like that. And actually knowing what you're looking at in the software are totally different things, to be honest. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Hey, Bill, I hate to say it, but we're out of time. But thank you so much for that information. Send in your questions. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where you send us your questions. How do you send us your questions? Well, there's a couple of different ways. Social media, one user-friendly on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can give us a call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at 503-766-6264. The Q&A this week is sponsored by the Sherwood Area Chamber of Commerce. Join the collective power of area businesses and nonprofits to connect leaders and influencers. Be a catalyst for business growth and a champion for the community. Go to SherwoodChamber.org for details. What's our first question? What is a ColecoVision Super Game Module? Yeah, so we've been getting a number of questions lately on antique video games. Antique video games would be ones that came out up until the great video game crash in 1982. So the bigger one that most have heard of, probably one way or another, is the Atari. But at mm -hmm. that time, there were a number of other systems. So now, like, we have the Nintendo Switch, we have the... Um, PlayStation, we have the Xbox, that type of thing. In that era, there were a number of different systems that were out there. The Atari was the bigger one, but there was also the ColecoVision, the Intellivision, the Fairchild Channel F, the Odyssey 2, and a variety of others that are a little bit less known. And these were all first-generation entries into the idea of games that took cartridges where you could program the system with an external yeah. device in that way. 
And one of the lesser known devices, I had to look this up because I hadn't heard of it, is the ColecoVision Super Game Module. Oh, see, I had one of these. A Super Game Module. Yeah. Well, man, I'll tell you what, it's too bad you don't still have it because they're going for seven and $800 on eBay. Wow. Now you're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) No, the value of some of this stuff is absolutely amazing. But what this item does is it's an add-on module that connected into a ColecoVision video game system that enhanced the amount of memory and some of the other resources, process, or that type of thing that, that the system was capable of out of the box. There was also another thing that they had sold called the Atom computer system, which actually included a printer and a keyboard and was an early version of a computer that already did this automatically. And there are games that will only play with the Super Game Module or on the Atom computer. And they are quite a bit better in the sense of that since they have more memory and that type of thing could do more. And for that era, we're really capable of some amazing things. So if you have a ColecoVision, you can look for this device. Like I said, they're going for $700 plus on eBay if you can find one. And uh, there are definitely collectors out there. This is becoming a very collectible area, just like action figures or comic books or anything else. Is a hotel or Airbnb safer? So in this age of COVID-19, this is a good question. Ouch. <laughs> the, there are two schools of thought on this. I really don't have an opinion, mainly because I don't know and there is not a like a conclusive I think it answer. Depends upon the, uh, the cleaning staff. Yeah. Like that last place that we stayed in, where was that? It was in Southern Oregon. They went through a lot of trouble to make sure that everything was super duper clean. Yeah. Uh, that was a Holiday Inn Express and it was in Ashland. And yes, it okay. was definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah. D- they definitely did a good job. And the, the reason why Airbnb is considered sometimes safe, or at least the argument for that, is that most of them are contactless check in. So you don't actually have to deal with somebody when you check in, so you're not actually talking to them. But of course, the cleaning standards, you don't necessarily know. I've seen a lot of Airbnb or that type of thing where people keep their properties just brilliantly clean. And I've seen some others that, well, aren't as brilliant. So, you know, but that's true for the hotel industry too. And uh, as we travel to do conventions and that type of thing, we've had some really, really good hotels over the years. And we've had some really, really bad ones. And uh, um, I, I think the first one in, in recent history was the Red Roof Inn in Vallejo. I, that had to be one of the worst oh, experiences wow. I have ever seen. That and the one in Ridgecrest. Oh, Those the Motel the 6 worst. in Ridgecrest. Yeah, that just uh, that's no longer owned by Motel 6, by the way. It's a uh, oh, okay. non-name brand wow. hotel anymore. And the latest ratings on it. Was, it was a dump. Uh, it, was de- it was a dump. And from the ratings, from what I can see, it still is. So. You do want to check these things out. At one time, it was just irritating, although bed bugs and stuff like that's a little more than irritating. But in this day and age, it can be actually dangerous to get a dirty facility, whether it's an Airbnb or a hotel. So checking it out and looking at the ratings and trying to you know deal with that is definitely important. Not that it wasn't, but now it's more important. Can a product review be trusted? Well, that's an interesting question based on our previous topic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking exactly. the same thing. <laughs> There is some concern that up to almost 50% of product reviews are fake. Oh, good. Yeah. And, uh, I, I actually, you can kind of tell. Yeah, you look at these things. In fake, either in flat-out fake, they've hired someone to write them or written them themselves. Or the other thing of it is that I've noticed is if you give us a five-star review, we'll refund $20 of your purchase price, something like that. And obviously, that can sway the review. And yeah. unfortunately, since we rely on product reviews so much, 
uh, you can't see things in person, you know, if you're ordering them online, it can become very important to uh, check this out. And it's good for the companies to be able to control this. And they're trying to. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, reporter Steve Mailer. Well, guys, thank you. I'm actually um, meeting today with a very interesting lady. Her name is Michelle Duguay, and she works with an organization that does something that is very near and dear to my heart. She basically helps to rescue horses. Michelle, welcome to User Friendly. Thank you, Steve. It's good to be on. It's good to have you. So what what's the name of the organization that you're involved with? It is called the Oregon Horse Rescue. Oregon Horse Rescue. Okay, and that's based in that's based in Portland. Is that correct? Well, they're outside. They're south of Portland in Eugene. Okay. What is your function there? What do you do for the organization? I am their barn manager. So my job is to basically run the operations, um, take care of the horses, make sure that they are healthy and happy. That's a great mission. How long has this organization been in existence, or do you know? They're into their seventh year. Seventh year, okay. Yeah, the owners, David and Jane Kelly, started it through Jane's love of, of horses and wanting to do something for horses that needed it. She started with one and at one point got up to 60 and averaged around 20-something, and we're a little wow. below that right now. Okay. COVID, we're not taking in very many more horses right now. Not taking any more. Okay. So what is, what's the process by which someone, that a horse gets involved in your organization? Does it maybe like an owner decides that they can't care for the horse anymore? There's lots of reasons. That's a pretty strong one. Uh, neglected, abused horses do come to us. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the horses happen to come to us by way of, let's say, a couple who've had horses all their life, but the husband basically took care of them and he passes and the wife the widow wants to keep them somewhere beautiful and have them stay together let's say a pair of horses that are on her property so we'll take them in and they'll live with us for the rest of their lives Okay, so that actually comes to my next question. So is is the intention of the organization isn't necessarily to find a new forever home, or is that part of your mission as well? It is. It both, they both are. We'll take the horses that are sanctuary horses, and it's usually because they have, they have a lot of needs medically for them. And then we have horses that come in that are younger, and what we try to do is rehome them. Find a okay. forever home for that. Got it. Okay, so it's it, it kind of you run both sides. You if if you don't think you're yeah. going to find a forever home for a horse, then you become that forever home. But if it's that younger, yeah. But if it's if it's younger and it has a, a likelihood of being useful or a loved pet by another family, then it can find another a forever home. Exactly, and that's okay. why we do call it a rescue or a sanctuary. <laughs> that's so we'll rescue them and find them a home. Or they'll live with us for the Got rest it. of their life, and we'll take care of them. Okay, well, I mean, I, I love the mission. Who doesn't love horses? I, well, yeah, who doesn't? Some are afraid of them, but everyone loves them. <laughs> yeah. In the process of onboarding a horse into your system, are there what? what's the process? What do you do? Well, a lot of people contact us through social media, actually. They will come on to our Facebook 
Okay. And okay. they will send us a message. And that's a lot of our contacts. We do get telephone calls and once in a blue moon, we get it by snail mail. Okay. But usually people find us when they're looking for a rescue on an engine of searching for us. They'll find us through a search online. Okay. And a lot of them will end up on our, our Facebook post. Okay. And find us there. We have both a Facebook page for the rescue itself. And then once people start volunteering and they're a part of the organization, we have a volunteer page as well. Awesome. We get a lot of messages through that social media asking about either information on rescuing from us or offering and surrendering a horse to us. I see. What is what's the name of the Facebook page on Facebook? If someone so someone wouldn't have to it necessarily do a or, search. Yeah, so it is under Oregon Horse Rescue. Okay. Okay. This has to be an expensive thing to take care of. It is. You mentioned twenty horses. How? What? What is there? Do you have a source of funding? Are you a nonprofit? We are a nonprofit. Okay. Um, I know that David and Jane Kelly put a lot of their blood, sweat, and tears and money into it. We have amazing donors and support and sponsors for the horses. Someone might sponsor a horse monthly um, to help us with their medical costs and their feed and taking care of them. We have grants that we've been blessed to get over the years that will help us out. And it's really donations and that support that we get from them out there and we almost lost the ranch a year or so ago in a big campaign, a radio program, and mentioned it in a newspaper article, and we got a lot of support and a lot of volunteers from it. Well, hopefully this will do the same for you. Thank <laughs> I mean, you. We get it. That would yeah. be great. Yeah, getting, getting the word out and make, you know, making people aware of who you are, what you do, and what you need is kind of critical especially for a nonprofit organization. What is the uh, the phone number to reach um, your organization? So you can reach us through me, which is 408-908-0548 number. Okay. You can go to our webpage at OregonHorseRescue.com online. Okay. So um, you mentioned that some of the horses are old, some of the horses are young. So they just, do you ever have horses that are actually born at o- Oregon Horse Rescue? We don't have any that are born, although we might get young ones coming to us because the mother has passed, and that's um. rare. What we end up getting, though, are pretty old horses. In fact, we have some of the oldest horses our farriers has in his 400 head that he takes care of. We have two of the oldest horses. We have a 37-year-old horse wow. named Earl, okay. and we have a 36-year-old horse named Nana Rose. And there's information on the page, I'm sure, like pictures, descriptions of a yeah. little bit of their history. Yeah, the okay. website will show both our sanctuary horses and our rescue horses. So horses that are up for adoption, um, and then those that are our sanctuary horses. And they'll show everything from our youngest little pony and our oldest horses that are there. Okay. And the story. Yeah, I mean, this is—it's such a great thing that you're doing, and um, I certainly hope that this leads to some of the horses getting the support that they need and possibly future homes. <clears throat> so, aside from social media to make people aware, are there other technologies that you use um, at Oregon Horse Rescue? I do. I started to use a new software called Barn Manager, and it's an app I actually have on my phone and on my computer at home. Which is amazing as a person who's done this most of my life. I can now walk around the barn with my phone in hand, update feed, update medicine changes, put in an appointment with a farrier, and everyone on the crew and everyone at the barn knows. If wow. anything was to happen to me, it would all be there in the app. That's it's awesome. On everyone's phone. 
and we get to share it. It's an amazing way to run the barn. Okay. No more whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we are in the 21st century, so we should be using technology, even if it's in a barn, right? Oh, it is. It's an amazing system, and I love using Barn Manager. It's made my life a lot easier. Barn Manager software for barn managers on the go. I love it. It's amazing what you can do with an iPhone or an iPad and a Wi-Fi connection. So I'm actually looking on the site at OregonHorseRescue.com, and I am noticing that there is a message center that's listed if you needed to reach out to them. It looks like you can do that at 541-520-0371. And please do. I'm sure they would love to hear from you if you need assistance or you want to provide assistance because it's a great cause. Well, Michelle, it's been fun having you on the show. It's been fun catching up. And uh, we'll maybe follow up with you in the future and see how things are going at the Oregon Horse Rescue. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, back to you in the studio. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to see where technology can take us and some of the differences that it can make. Just uh, in basically every time, line of work now, you see it somewhere or other. And uh, speaking of such things, we're not really seeing any technology shows this year. So much yeah, of this has well. been canceled, and it's a bummer, you know? <laughs> it is a bummer. I'm hoping that maybe next year they'll just have really amazing shows to make up for what we all missed out yeah i and i i hope so i think a lot of people hope so but we do have an upcoming schedule of some things we're going to be covering black hat august 1st through 4th uh the hacker show in las vegas is going virtual we will be covering that uh chas wellington our reporter down in las vegas will be covering that for us emerald city comic con has been canceled for 2020 and moving to 2021 but they are talking about some kind of a virtual show so as soon as we know more about that, we will tell you and uh, cover that if we can. McMinnville UFO Festival is still scheduled for September, the 17th through the 19th. So we'll see if that actually comes off. Same with uh, Silicon Valley Comic Con, October 16th to 18th, and the rescheduled Star Trek convention, December 9th through 13th. So, you know, it's just going to be how the world is to figure out what actually does and doesn't happen. But you can keep updated here on user-friendly, and there's a number of ways to do that. Listen to us when we're aired live at 5 o'clock on The Answer Portland, or the podcast anytime after that, which is on demand at any place that you play podcasts. And the other thing you can do is check out our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing. We have that available for you now. Just go into your skills and enable user-friendly 2.0 in your Flash Briefing, and it will make our show a part of that. It's about a 60-second thing that gets updated a couple of times a week. That's just the latest in technology news. The other thing is, is our Tech Wednesday blog, which is published every Wednesday. Hey, imagine that. Tech Wednesday, right? <laughs> <laughs> Both on air and online. That's at our home radio station at theanswerportland.com as well. And those articles get a little more in-depth on different topics that are just trending during the week. We've had some fun stuff. Our favorite one to date was the one about the ghost satellites. And uh <laughs> Apparently, we've gotten a lot of plays on the signal or the ghost signal that came out of that. And yeah. I know, Gretchen, you kind of like that, too. I thought it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was kind of a fun one. You know, they've been shooting up satellites since the 1950s. So the idea that some of the derelicts are still out there makes total sense. 
but it's kind of fun that you can still communicate with them. And right now they're shooting up a lot. I think it was another 34 that just went up on SpaceX last weekend. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, oh, this, it, it, this whole topic reminds me of that, that show that we started to watch. It was called Space, Space Force. Force. Yes. And there's a really funny scene where they made a big deal and they shot this satellite up and oops, somebody comes by and <laughs> does something bad to it. It, it. You have to see it. It's really kind of I, funny. I, I need to watch Space Force. I haven't had a chance to yet. And We'll tell everybody about it when we do. This is User-Friendly yeah. 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.